So today I want to talk to you about this. Part seven is enjoy a loving God. The key word here is loving. Everybody say loving. Um, the reason a lot of people don't serve Jesus, the reason a lot of people don't come to church on a regular basis is because they have this thought subconsciously in their mind that, okay, I hear some stories about God being loving, but I also hear stories about God being mean. And if God is so loving, why would he send people to hell? If God is so loving, why are there starving children in Africa? If God is so loving, why didn't he stop this person from hurting me? Why doesn't he stop all the bad things going on? If God is so loving, how could anybody ever go to hell who wasn't given a thousand chances to choose God? And we have these theological questions in our head, but we never really research to find the answer. So today, I'm going to answer those difficult questions for you so you can leave this place without a doubt in your mind that God is always a loving God. We good so far? The foundation for this is going to be 1 John 4, 8 for your notes. It's a simple verse. It just says, God is love. God is love. God is not love because he does loving things. He does loving things because he is love. God is not good because he does good things. He does good things because he is good. Um, there's some other things God is. God is sovereign. That means that he's the supreme ruler of the universe. Supreme ruler. Even though God is the supreme ruler of the universe, there are things that he cannot do. God cannot do anything. If anybody ever told you, oh man, God can do anything, that's a lie. He can't do anything. And the, the, I'm setting the foundation for our questions. The theological term for this is called the immutability of God. Immutability of God means this. God cannot change. He can never, ever, ever change. This is really good news for us because if God is love and he cannot change, then he can never do anything that is the opposite of love. If God could change, he could get better at things. And he can't get better at things because he's the best at everything. He's perfect. That's why he cannot change. Let me give you some more examples. Um, God is truth. He cannot lie. He cannot tell you something in his word and then lie about it. He cannot say, here's what I'll do for you and here's what goes on and then not do it. He can't lie. Um, God is good. He can never be mean. If you've ever read a story about God or a scripture and you think, man, he just sounded mean there, what you're doing is you're not taking it with the whole heart of God. It'd be like taking my cell phone and reading one scripture and think, oh, I know John Paul. Got this one text right here, this one text. Um, you, have to, you have to read the whole conversation. What's going on before that? What's going on after that? What's the heart behind it? And a lot of times we'll hear or think something about God and we'll ask these rhetorical questions. If he's so good, then why didn't he stop this person from doing something bad? We ask it very rhetorically rather than from the, from the foundation of God being an all-loving God. So if God is always loving and he can never be unloving and that is his character, then every time we study the Bible, we have to realize... We're studying it from a God who is always love. We cannot study it from any other point of view. So either, either the Bible is wrong and God can be mean and loving or we're not understanding what we're hearing, one or the other. Either the Bible's a lie and God can be mean here and hateful here and do the wrong thing here and not do the right thing here and then be loving and be nice in this section Either the Bible's not cohesive and it's not, it's, not, it's not correct, 
or we're not understanding what we're reading and, 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 and studying. Everybody got with me? Okay, so I'm going to ask the questions today from the standpoint that God is a loving God, and I'm going to answer them for you. If you're ready, say, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, number one is this. Uh, I'm going to start with easy ones. Why would a loving God create hell? Why would a loving God create hell? This is a very easy, easy answer. Um, before mankind, Lucifer was one of the three archangels, Lucifer, Gabriel, and Michael. Up in heaven, listen real close, they had a perfect relationship with God. He never abused them. He never mistreated them. He was only good, and yet Lucifer decided to rebel, and he brought one-third of the angels with him to rebel against God. Matthew 25, 41 says this, the everlasting fire was built or prepared for the devil and his angels. They didn't live in the projects. No one was beating them. No one was abusing them. And they still chose to rebel against a perfect, all-loving God. So here's the answer to number one. Hell was not built for you. Hell was not created for you. But I want to tell you some good news. Hell was not built for you, but watch this. Heaven was created for you. Heaven was actually built for you. Hell was never created for the souls of mankind, but heaven was. Easy question, easy answer. Here's number two. How could a loving God send someone to hell who never had a full chance? And really, there's two questions here. How could God ever send somebody to hell? I mean, if he's all loving, why would he send anyone to hell? And then the rest of the question is, uh, especially, especially somebody who was never given a full, total, complete chance to serve him. Uh, I'm going to answer in twofold. Let's look at Romans 1, 19 through 21. It says, what is known about God is evident or made manifest. Now, before we go on, last week I taught you what the word manifest means. It means to make known, right? Manifest means to make known. For instance, if I said today, hey everybody, there's some Steelers fans in our service right now. There's some Ravens fans in our service right now. Do we agree on anything around here? What's the, I don't, that's the only two football teams I know. Is there, what's another one that y'all like? Patriots. There's Patriots fans in here. Wow. Okay. Well, we're going to go with Patriots, the second service. Good job. Somebody help me remember that team. Okay. So here's what happened. The Patriots fans just made themselves known. They just manifested themselves. Before that, they were in the room, but until I asked them to, they did not manifest. Everybody understand manifest? Okay, good. So what is known about God is made manifest to everybody in their inner consciousness because God himself has shown it to them. Let me stop right there. God has put eternity in every person's heart. Since the day you were born, since you were a child, God has been pursuing you from the inside. He's been tugging at your heart. He's been speaking to you. He sent people to you. He's blessed you. He's provided for you. He's healed you. He's done great things in your life. And how many thousands and thousands of times have we rejected the very voice of God speaking to us on the inside? Here's the second way. It says, ever since God created the world, His invisible qualities, sounds like a play on words, are clearly seen through the things He made or His handiworks so that people have no excuse at all why in the world would god create such a vast universe except for the fact that he wants us to walk outside look up and say 
There has to be a God. There has to be a God. Imagine with me that uh, you and I were walking through the forest one day, okay? Walking through the woods. Uh, for those of you young people who don't know what a forest or woods are, it's like an area that doesn't have electronics or iPads or iPhones. And it's like trees built up. Let's pretend like we're walking through Aner together, okay? We're walking through Aner. And all of a sudden, we're in Aner. And we come across this perfectly round globe. We're going to call it a globe, a ball, a spherical shaped thing. It's obviously made out of some type of hard plastic. There's colors on it. There's lines that look like they separate things. There's English letters that have formed words all over this perfectly round globe. Now, we were walking through Aner and we saw this thing in the woods. Would anything inside of you, I mean in a million years, would you ever think that this thing just appeared out of nothing? That nothing collided with nothing and this thing was created in all of its perfection and colors and lines that it just magically appeared and then magically it just showed up there. Would, would you think, was anything in your mind tell you that? Or would you think because the intelligence of the design that someone intelligent had to have created it? And that because the intelligence of it and the perfect of the roundness of it and the fact that it's made out of plastic, you would assume that someone intelligent created it and then somebody placed it in that location. That's probably what we'd go with, right? Yet people reject God so far, they think that nothing came from nothing and this beautiful, perfectly uh, shaped um, with the colors and all the great design, it just appeared out of nowhere. Now imagine that this thing weighs six sextillion tons and that it travels 67,000 miles an hour around a bigger ball called the sun, is there any way in a million years the intelligence of that design just magically showed up, got placed in the middle of nowhere and never falls even though it weighs so much? Would anything inside of us think that was the way it happened? No. Yet people reject God so far they come up with the conclusion that they came from monkeys. And then they have no idea where the monkeys came from. How idiotic. You know, uh, the Big Bang is still a theory. You know, it's a theory still. In fact, Darwin, who wrote the Big Bang Theory, in the book where he wrote the Big Bang Theory, he also said, if this is not proven in 150 years, you'd be a fool to believe it. He also said, if you examine the human eye, there's no way you could believe that we came from nothing. The intelligence just of the human eye had to come from someone intelligent. Matthew 7, 7 says this, everybody who seeks will find. Every person who seeks. Everyone who seeks. People say that Christianity is a very exclusive religion. There's nothing exclusive about it. It's so inclusive it says that everyone, anybody who seeks, anyone who seeks will find. Anybody who goes to hell can never say, God, you didn't tell me. God can say, I've been speaking to you in your heart ever since you were born. I've been showing you my creation every day you were on planet earth and you still chose to reject. And let, me answer, let me answer our question like this. God doesn't send anybody to hell. Just so you know, God doesn't send anybody to hell. People choose to reject God and live for themselves. God could have let them, and I'll prove to you in a little bit, God could let somebody live for a thousand years 
and see miracle after miracle and speak to God and walk with God and still there's something in their heart where they would still reject an all-loving God. So why does God send people to hell? He doesn't. He gives everybody a chance and they choose not to be a part of God's family. They choose a thousand times over again to not be a part. So number three, why would a loving God even give people the choice if he loves us so much and he's so good and so powerful why would he even give us the choice of heaven or hell why not just make us choose heaven why not just make us serve him why not just force us to do the right thing and to pick God every time great question here's the answer The only world in which love is possible is a world that allows humanity to have a free will. If you do not have a free will to love, you are no longer a human. You're a robot. And if you are a robot, there's no purpose in even having creation. If we were forced to love God, which is not love, if we were forced to do it, there'd be no purpose in having earth, There'd be no purpose in having humanity, no purpose in God creating heaven for us. Without free will, we are no longer human beings. You cannot, love is not possible unless you can choose not to love. That's what makes it love. Liking things are not possible unless you can choose not to like things. Good is not possible unless there's bad, so we can differentiate the two. You cannot be a human without having a free will. And if God violates your free will and makes you choose Him, you are no longer a human being. You are now a robot. And there's no purpose in you even existing if you're always going to choose the right thing because you don't even know that there's a wrong thing because you don't have a free will to choose. Now, let me give you an example. Imagine that I'm, and I think this is the way that, that Mark was able to marry Caitlin. Imagine that you found the person of your dreams and you duct tape them to a chair and you duct tape their mouth and you force them to sit there and spend time with you. And you force them to watch a movie with you. And then during the movie you say, isn't our time together special? And, and your date goes, that's not love if they're forced to do it. Why would you want somebody to be forced to love you? I'm just kidding, he didn't duct tape Caitlin to a chair. He's rope. Anyway, and so, <laughs> if someone is forced to love you, it is no longer a choice. Why even have them love you? If they're forced to do it, they are a robot. And God's supreme ethic for us is love. Matthew 22, 37. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. You cannot love God and you cannot love people. You couldn't love your spouse if God violated your free will. You could not like the things that you like if God violated your free will. There's no purpose in having heaven or earth if we don't have a free will. Let me give you another example to help you out. Um, When your dishwasher washes the dishes, you've never once celebrated that. You've never gotten so excited. Man, can you believe what my dishwasher did today? It washed the dishes. The reason you don't get excited is because it was designed to wash the dishes. If it does not do that, you consider it broke and you then fix it and force it to wash the dishes. Nothing excites you about that. But if your husband washes the dishes, man, you celebrate that, right? You know why? Because he has a free will and he can choose not to wash the dishes. 
Everybody understand? So if, why would God even give us the choice? Because that's what makes us human. And to be honest with me, you actually like having a choice. But if you, if you don't, you actually love your free will. Number four, if God is so loving, why would a loving God allow evil in the world? If he loves us so much and he only wants good for us, why would he allow all the bad things to happen? Let me answer that in twofold. Um, the reason there's evil in the world is because the world has chosen to depart from an all-loving God. And you say, well, why doesn't God stop all the bad things? Let me ask you a good question. Why don't you stop the bad things? We have a free will. He put us on this planet. When we say, God, why don't you stop all the evil in the world? What you're really saying is, God, why don't you violate everybody's free will except for mine? Make them do right. Violate the free will of the murderers. Violate the free will of the rapists. Violate the free will of the people that are not helping the starving children. Fix all the things that hurt me. But as far as me, God, I like having my free will and I want to do what I want to do. Do you know that if every American Christian tithe their income each week at the local church, there'd be no starving children in the world? We, um, we sponsor kids in Pakistan at an orphanage there. And so if you don't want kids to starve, let me ask you a question. What are you doing about it? The question isn't why doesn't God do something? He did do something. He placed us here on earth so we could be his hands and we could be his feet. See, you don't want God to violate your free will. You don't want God to make you spend your money the way he wants you to spend your money. You don't want God to make you eat what he wants you to eat. You like going to Krispy Kreme when the hot sign is on and eating. The, you know that if you get it when the hot sign's on, you can actually drink them. I don't know if you know that, but you can actually drink the Krispy Kreme donuts when the hot sign's on. You like that. But if God were to violate your free will and force you to only eat what's healthy so you can live longer and help more people, you don't want to do that. You actually want to do what you want to do. You don't want God to violate. You want God to violate everybody else's free will around you for the things that hurt you. But believe it or not, you and I make choices every day that hurt other people. You and I make choices every day with how we spend our time, our finances, what we watch, what we think about, our attitude at work. All of these things affect the evil or the good in the world. So if God is so loving, why would he allow evil in the world? Here's my question. If you love God, why do you allow evil in the world? Number five. Why would a loving God only create one way for us to get to him? If he's so loving and he wants us so bad to be with him, why can we not go through Buddha or Muhammad? Why is Christianity the only one? Why is Jesus the only way to heaven? Why is Jesus the only way to have a relationship with an all-perfect God? Why does the sacrifice of his son have to be the only person we go through to get to this one true holy God? Okay, I'm going to answer it in two parts. Number one is this. Truth, by definition, is always full of boundaries. The more you get the answer to a question, the more narrow the path is to that answer. In other words, as an example, if I asked you to look up and tell me what color is the paint on the ceiling, we have to first, if we're going to find the truth, we're going to determine what it's not. The truth is, if we're going to get the answer to that question, we have to realize the answer is not white. The answer is not red. The answer is not blue. The answer is not yellow. The answer is not brown. Do you realize the closer we get to the truth of that color, 
the more boundaries, the more we have to push out other things. Now, you may have thought your whole life that that was pink, but it's not pink. You may have been shown it was pink by somebody, taught it was pink, but you have the ability to research. God's put eternity in your heart. Everybody that seeks him will find him. And so you can research and realize, you know what? It's not pink. All this time I thought it was pink. It's not. The truth is, is it's black. Now, because that's the truth, listen, it can't be black and white. It can't be black and red. The closer you get to a truth statement or a truth answer, the more you have to disregard the things that it is not. People say, here's the second answer. People say, um, if God's all powerful, all perfect, all holy, all loving, why would he only allow one way for us to get to him? Listen real close. If God is perfect, and he's all good, all loving, all knowing, and all powerful, the supreme ruler of the universe, why would he allow any way at all for you and me to get to him? The very fact that he made a way should be enough for you and I to bend our knee to his will and serve him for the rest of our life on earth. John 14, 6 says that Jesus said, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. Um, years ago when I first started pastoring, I remember I got a, a speeding ticket here in Myrtle Beach. And um, it wasn't much. It was, uh, I was going 45 miles per hour over the speed limit. And so <laughs> I was driving and I got a ticket. And so I had a friend that was a judge at the time here in town. And so I went to him and I, I, I said, can you help me with my ticket? And he says, sure, I'll take care of it for you. I'm like, thanks. I appreciate it. And so several weeks went by, and I was in a restaurant, and I saw him there, and I said, Your Honor, you know, I shook his hand. Thank you so much for, you know, dismissing my ticket. I appreciate it. And he said, I didn't dismiss your ticket. I said, I thought you told me you took care of it. He said, I did take care of it. I said, if you didn't dismiss it, but you took care of it, what did you do? He said this, I paid your ticket for you. I said, I thought you were going to do your judge thing and just dismiss it and just get rid of it. Pretend like it never happened. And he said this to me, were you guilty for what you did? I said, yeah. <laughs> he said, if I'm a good judge, the penalty has to be paid. Justice demanded payment. If I'm a good judge, I can't get rid of it. If I'm a good judge, I have to make sure the ticket gets paid. So I paid it for a lot of people think that God, the righteous judge, just dismissed our sins, dismissed our lust, our pride, our greed, our selfishness, just, just dismissed like it never happened. No, no, no. Because he's a righteous judge, he came down to earth and he paid the price for us so we wouldn't have to. The penalty had to be paid. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made Christ who never sinned to be our sin so that we could be made right with God. Let me ask you a question. Imagine somebody murdered one of your family members, murdered your child or your spouse, murdered somebody you love, and they caught the guy that did it and he pleaded guilty. And then at sentencing, when the judge either gives him life in prison or the death penalty, all of a sudden, one of the murderer's friends steps up and says this, I love that man. I love the guy that murdered your family so much. 
I want to take his punishment. So the judge says, okay, you who are innocent, because you love this person, you get life in prison or the death penalty. Let me ask you this. Would that appease your anger? Yes or no? No. Is that justice? Yes or no? No. If the innocent person went to jail for the crime that their friend did, that's not justice. But if during the sentencing, somebody else comes along, a friend of the murderer, and says, I did the crime, and the DNA, the video, the eyewitnesses all confirm that that guy actually did the crime, and then he went to jail or got the death penalty, would that then appease your anger that the friend was actually the guilty one who did it, that they're going to jail? That would appease your anger, yes? Okay, listen. Jesus did not just take our sin. Jesus took our punishment. He did not just take your sin from you. He actually took, that's why he had to be killed and not just die. Because God's perfect wrath had to be satisfied. Remember, God's perfect. He's just. He can never not be perfect. He can never not be just. He can never not be fair. So Jesus had to actually take our sin and our punishment for God's wrath to be satisfied for our guilty lives. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only, the only thing he had one of, that whoever, look at that inclusive, whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Let me tell you good news. God can never punish you for your sin if you're in a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. You will never be punished for your sin because Jesus was already punished. And God cannot punish two people for the same crime because that would be an unjust thing. So people say, if Christianity is so good, if Christianity is such a great thing, a great religion. What makes it different than everybody else's religion? And the truth is, Christianity is not even a religion. Because every other religion on planet Earth is all about what we have to do to get to nirvana, what we have to do to get to this God, whatever religion it is. Every religion, what we have to do, how we have to act, all the things we have to do to get there. Christianity is the only it is all about what God did to get to me and you. It's the greatest love story that ever existed. So the final question is this. Why would anyone constantly, inexcusably, and rebelliously reject an all-loving God? Sometimes we think, well, if I could see heaven just for a minute, I would believe it's not enough to see space, not enough to see the sun and all its brilliance. I want to see heaven, then I'll believe. Okay, Lucifer and one-third of the angels saw heaven, and they rebelled. Well, if God would just walk with me and talk with me, then I'd give my life to him and serve him forever. Adam and Eve walked and talked with God, and they rebelled. Well, if he would just come to earth and do miracles in my life, and I could spend time with him and just, 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 just hang out with him. He did do that for 33 and a half years. He served, he loved, he healed. He never once acted arrogant. 
never once acted prideful, and we rejected him so badly that we tortured him until he died. Well, if I could just live to be a thousand years old and witness Jesus rule the earth and reign over the whole world, if I could just see that, then I would submit my life to him, then I would live for this good God. Do you know in the future, we see in the book of Revelation, that that's actually what happens. It's called the millennial reign. This is your future. Revelation 28, after the thousand years are over, Satan will still deceive people into following him. People still reject an all-loving God. Everybody that's in the family of God chose to be in the family of God. And every person who is not in the family of God defiantly, rebelliously, and consistently chose not to be in the family of God. 1 Corinthians 15.3 says, Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. He raised to life again on the third day. This is the greatest love story ever. So the last question, how could anybody reject an all-loving God? It's the only question I don't have an answer to.